All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. Hey friends, I have some good news for you. Rethinking Faith will be back in action once again this year at Theology Beer Camp as the God Pods strike back. This event will be October 19th through the 21st in Springfield, Missouri. And this year, the God Pods are looking amazing. We have friends such as the New Evangelicals, You Have Permission, Homebrewed Christianity, The Bible for Normal People, Crackers and Grape Juice, A Tiny Revolution, Secret Art Project, A People's Theology, Rev Covery, and more. And on top of that, we have some fun Jedi Masters hanging out, bringing craft nerdiness such as John Dominic Carlson, Reggie Williams, Adam Clark, Sarah Lane Ritchie, Myron Penner, Thomas J. Orr, Jay McDaniel, Roberto Shea, Espinoza, Pete Enns, Leah Robertson, Tony Jones, and more. It is going to be a blast. For more information, head over to theologybeer.camp. You can use promo code RethinkingGodPod, all one word, capital letters, Rethinking God Pod for $25 off of your registration fee. Come on and hang out this year at Theology Beer Camp. It was a blast last year. I enjoyed getting to see and meet so many of li- uh, you listeners, and I look forward to hanging out this year once again. So, again, theologybeer.camp and use promo code Rethinking God Pod. Hope to see you guys there. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and with me today is an individual who I have bothered sufficiently over the interwebs and uh, (laughs) finally um, kind of committed and and came through and invited them on the show, and uh, they were excited to come hang out. So with me today, I have Jared Morningstar. Jared, how's it going? Excellent. Yeah. Am I an individual or am I a society? Perhaps we'll find mm. out uh, today. Nice. I like it already there. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, Jared, if you would just kind of uh, for starters, just to kind of kick us off, could you share a little bit about um, uh, 
uh, who you are and and what kind of things you find yourself doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, perhaps uh, relevant to, to some of your listeners, I work for the, the Cobb Institute and the Center for Process Studies. I do communications, marketing sort of stuff for both those organizations, uh, among many other things. So if you see any social posts from these organizations, if you're on the newsletter list, uh, which you should be, uh, that's uh, that's my handiwork there. So uh, yeah, you may already have encountered me without uh, realizing. Uh, beyond that, I, uh, I have an academic background in, in religion, definitely. Got a, a BA in that back in 2018 and have sort of continued my studies in, in that field uh, on my own uh, since then. So I read uh, our boy Alfred North Whitehead back in, uh, it was only 2021, actually. So, I mean, I'm still kind of green to this uh, stuff, but uh, I've done a a pretty substantive amount of engagement uh, since then. Uh, Done a lot with the sort of more kind of classical neoplatonic traditions as well. Uh, These sort of uh, theological modes of speculation that trace back to important figures like Plato and, and Plotinus. Uh, so we'll definitely be talking about those today, putting them in conversation with the, the process stuff. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, beyond uh, this sort of stuff that is going to be kind of immediately relevant to our chat, I also uh, do some, uh, some stuff in the psychedelic field. I work for the Psychedelic Medicine Association and have done some academic uh, work there as well doing some sort of phenomenology of psychedelic experiences. And uh, I'm also a Muslim. Uh, so that's kind of one of the theological perspectives I, I bring uh, to some of these conversations. Sweet. Thank you. Um, just curiosity for myself. Did you uh, grow up Muslim? Is that kind of the tradition you were uh, born in? And if not, how did you kind of find yourself um, into that tradition? Sure. Yeah, no, not uh, not at all. Uh, I grew up what I would call culturally Lutheran, uh, where we, we hit up the ELCA church for Easter and, and Christmas and maybe a handful of other times uh, throughout the liturgical year. But uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a super substantively religious upbringing, but I was exposed to some form of uh, mainline Protestantism uh, growing up and uh didn't really have a positive or negative experience uh, in my early years with that. Uh, but uh, once I developed a little more self-consciousness as a, a teenager, especially, I was getting kind of critical of uh, Christianity in its typical American forms, especially more, say, evangelical uh, forms of the religion. And I sort of intentionally distanced myself before coming a bit more around to religion uh, little later in my teen years, especially due to a world religions class in in college, my freshman semester, which happened to be taught by the Islamic studies professor at our little ELCA Lutheran school. And I was like, this class rocks, this guy rocks, I'm going to keep taking classes with this guy. So I ended up getting a a really robust uh, academic engagement with uh, Islam as a result. And uh, sort of developed a more personal kind of practice-based uh, relationship with the faith uh, a few le- few years later. Uh, but uh, I'm quite the dirty pluralist, so in my Islam, there's a lot of Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, all sorts of other stuff hanging out, and I find it to be a delightful sort of crucible for these things to intermingle and uh, sort of be contextualized. So that's part of why I ended up there. 
Sweet. Yeah. The, um, the pluralism, uh, is actually one thing, uh, that has always kind of really intrigued me, you know, just kind of seeing your posts and such on Facebook. Um, and you know, I've heard you do a few different like podcasts before as well. Um, and that, I don't know that I, I really appreciate the kind of, uh, like you seem to have like a pretty well-rounded understanding a lot of a lot of like world religions. Um, and and also too like uh, like even within like the mystic traditions within those different traditions, um, which was I know another idea we had tossed around was uh, doing an episode on some kind of like um, like mystics within the uh, Muslim faith and tradition. Which you know maybe that'll have to wait for another time, but <laughs> that could uh, that could always be a, a good time as well. And so with mysticism though, I, I want to ask you one more question before we jump into our topic. Um, again, just out of curiosity, um, what kind of drew you into some of the more like, uh, mystical contemplative sides of study, or maybe even your own personal faith? Um, and like, is that connected to some of the works you do with like psychedelics? Yeah, definitely, definitely strongly connected, I would say, uh, because, well, if you take these psychedelic substances, turns out you kind of get mystical experiences. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. There's other uh, relevant elements other than just the chemical ingestion, but uh, the, the mysticism dimension is definitely uh, uh, very much conditioned by by those drug experiences. Uh, yeah, I, I was definitely drawn to to more mystical perspectives uh, as I thought they they really contrasted with uh, what I sort of previously thought religion was which was kind of this belief cult this uh oh there's all these propositions about some supernatural entity and and salvation and and these sorts of things that uh you just sort of need to accept on some sort of non-rational basis and I'm like I'm not really into that uh it doesn't seem right to me so uh encountering these mystical traditions really kind of changed how I saw religion in general because well this is a, a very important uh, sort of stream or dimension to really all the world's religions to uh, one degree or another uh, and it's not about that it is about a much more direct experience uh, there's degrees to which uh, a mystic is say more more rational or or more purely kind of experiential and, and poetic about how they approach these sorts of things but uh regardless it it felt like a uh, an approach, a, a type of material that uh, was both sort of relevant. It's like, mm, you get kind of wisdom if you uh, sort of approach these kinds of experiences, right? And it gives you a, a really expansive and uh, beautiful sort of view of, of life, the cosmos, uh, uh, ethics, all, all these sorts of things. So it, it had sort of an immediate benefit to me, uh, I thought. And uh, at the same time, it kind of... Uh, didn't have those sorts of uh, negative aspects of kind of the more belief cult approach to religion. It felt like, okay, I can under I can integrate and understand this in a way that isn't sort of this uh, kind of naive faith or faith contrasted with with rationalism or, or something like that. I can make good naturalistic sense of of these sorts of experiences. Take some effort, but it's possible. Yeah, cool. That uh, I know the kind of like mystical tradition for me one of the things that i really appreciate like you pointed out was this more kind of experiential um you know element to it because i very much had an experience where the uh beliefs i was handed were not aligning with my experience and like that caused you know a lot of tension um 
you know, and, and listeners have have heard my story before in the past, but ultimately, um, I love the mystics. I've come to love, you know, the mystics across uh, traditions. Um, uh, Daniel Dombrowski's book, recent book, uh, Process Mysticism was fantastic. We had a fun conversation with him um, that I just really enjoyed. So that that's mysticism and process, I would say. Probably those two things in conjunction have really been the probably the thing that has kept me interested and intrigued <laughs> within uh, the religious conversation. Um, well, that and, and also Buddhism, uh, Buddhism was a, a very, um, and still continues to be a very helpful uh, companion, especially um, as I was, you know, kind of walking through uh, what is often called like dark night of the soul. Um, Buddhism is kind of, you know, as my closest friend during that time. So I appreciate that, that tradition very much and get a lot out of it. Uh, but yeah, so today, what specifically I thought might be fun to talk to you about um, is I want to try to compare and contrast uh, two, I guess, like schools of thought, if you will, um, specifically Neoplatonic theologies and process theologies. So I don't know, you know, pick which one you want to start with, but maybe for just for ground zero, let's define or give some sort of definition uh, for what we mean by Neoplatonism and also what we're talking about when we say process. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a, a genealogical exploration may be a, a good place to start here. Um, so Neoplatonism, uh, you might you might hear the Platonism in that. Well, we got our boy Plato uh, involved right off the bat, uh, but it's not just Plato. Uh, it's also uh, Neo. Uh, so it's a uh, uh, definitely a tradition that sort of evolved in the wake of Platonic philosophy in especially uh, this sort of Greek uh, ancient location, uh, but then really spread uh, globally, uh, frankly, in, in classical periods. Um, so a, a sort of pivotal figure here is Plotinus. Uh, is perhaps the most well-known uh, sort of uh, Neoplatonic uh, thinker, writer in the sort of initial Greek period of this uh this sort of tradition of mysticism and and theology, philosophy, uh, it's sort of all those together. Uh, but uh, what uh, Plotinus and, and those who, who followed in his wake were really doing was taking this kernel of Platonic philosophy and sort of integrating all these different streams of kind of intellectual uh, uh, schools that were really alive at this, uh, this period in history. So they took some of Stoicism, they, they took... Uh, all these different uh, uh, sort of uh, living traditions and integrated them into sort of a, a large scale metaphysical perspective uh, that uh, very much a comprehensive sort of system. Uh, and it has a, a, a very sort of spiritual dimension to it. Uh, it, uh, it has this sort of all these ideas about beauty and the soul and uh, uh, the one. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about what that means shortly. Uh, but so it wasn't just sort of this dry ontology, but also kind of implied or uh, even prescribed a, a certain program for spiritual development, spiritual realization, uh, the sort of uh, unity between, say, knowledge and, and 
almost something that's kind of like salvation or the final destiny of of uh, of the soul. Uh, so this then got kind of brought up uh, into the Abrahamic traditions, especially, but uh, had some uh, existence outside of those as well. Certainly in the initial context of Plotinus, uh, he was not uh, any kind of uh, Christian or uh, Islam didn't exist yet. Uh, he was a, a, a Greek of, of some variety. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, a, a number of different expressions that then kind of developed of uh, Christian Neoplatonism, uh, Islamic Neoplatonism, Jewish Neoplatonism, each with their own sort of distinctive developments that they uh, they brought. But uh, uh, definitely they're kind of working with this system, this uh, this. Uh, dispatch of neoplatonism provided a kind of systematic metaphysics and theology for for these scriptural traditions who had this revelation but uh didn't have say from the beginning some kind of a philosophical explanation of uh, what god is uh, the relationship between god and the world uh, these sorts of things so neoplatonism neoplatonism was able to provide that sort of syntax uh, as i've heard it described for for these uh these faith traditions to be able to more deeply uh, articulate a, a sort of intellectual perspective of the religion. Process stuff. Uh, well, here we go back to our boy, uh, Alfred North Whitehead, uh, certainly, uh, who in some respects is perhaps a Platonist himself. Uh, he certainly uh, considers himself in, in some kind of critical dialogue with, with that tradition. Um, and there are certainly other uh, thinkers that have kind of retroactively been, been placed in a, a process canon. But uh, in terms of kind of uh, self-consciously uh, originating some kind of new philosophy that uh, was really kind of based on, on uh, change, flux, uh, Whitehead is, is typically the, the pivotal figure here. Uh, and then uh, theologians sort of took up uh, some of his ontology uh, and his uh, provocative statements about God and uh, decided to really get some more sort of theological discourse going around these sorts of things. As Whitehead himself uh, was not a theologian, he was definitely a philosopher primarily. Um, he did uh, bring God into his uh his ontology and God had certain roles and uh, he had some very interesting ideas about uh, uh, God and the world and uh, what God's sort of uh, station is in relation to ultimacy and uh, actuality, these sorts of things. Um, but in terms of expressing a, a process theology, say in a particular creedal form, like a, like a Protestant process theology or a Muslim process theology, that was work that sort of happened uh, after Whitehead. And again, uh, like the uh, Neoplatonic situation, you have sort of different uh, streams of this tradition, uh, both in terms of the uh, particular religious traditions they were taken up in, but then also say what kind of uh, tone they had. There's some more empirical process theology, there's some more rationalist process theology, uh, there's a couple other strands as well. Um, so neither of these are monoliths, yet uh, I will do my best to productively generalize to plug them into each other in interesting ways. Cool. Well, thank you uh, for that helpful overview. Um, I think, you know, maybe if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, well, actually here, let me, let me take a step, step back. Um, Cause I want to try to uh, like hit on a, a few of the things you said. Um, so one thing that I think is interesting with the, so like the Neoplatonic, Neoplatonic thought, is that um, 
for listeners, if you don't know, like Plato is like way super duper old. <laughs> and so this kind of, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you know far better than I do, but this kind of like Neoplatonic thought that you're talking about um, was kind of in the air, so to speak, at the time of um, when things like the New Testament within the Christian tradition uh, were being kind of written. Is that correct? And so like there's this, um, you know, we kind of get that influence within uh, like early Christianity, essentially. Right. So the, the this kind of Neoplatonic thought, as I understand what you're saying, um, kind of came along and met this story that, you know, wasn't quite Christianity yet. Um, and then that's kind of what Christianity ended up growing out of. Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think uh, Neoplatonism as, as formulated as a systematic uh, metaphysics was not quite yet available sort of right in the lifetime of, of Jesus, but uh, it wasn't too long after, at least by ancient standards, that you you really had uh, had this being formulated. But certainly the Platonic tradition was uh, existing already. So some of the ingredients uh, were there. But yes, uh, I mean, many of the uh, crucial uh, Christian theologians of uh, this sort of early period were uh, drawing upon, or at least uh, in dialogue with uh, Neoplatonism. Uh, there's arguments that uh, St. Augustine is a, a very Neoplatonic thinker, uh, but certainly uh, uh, theologians like Origen, Maximus the Confessor, uh, here you have a, a very sort of clear Christian Neoplatonism emerging, and uh, it certainly then existed for many, many centuries. Uh, I've seen some interesting uh, arguments and research lately that maybe St. Thomas Aquinas is thought better as a Neoplatonist rather than an Aristotelian. So uh, this is something that has has deep history in, in Christianity, and uh, Eregina, uh, Duns Scotus, uh, these sorts of uh, major uh, classical Christian theologians, uh, all, all very much uh, uh, working within a, a Neoplatonic idiom uh, in critical dialogue with, with this mode of metaphysics. So what then, like if, you know, for listeners who perhaps grew up, um, say, in like a more Protestant household, where might they have seen influences um from these kind of neoplatonic thinkers like where where does your i don't know average person sitting at home is like yeah i grew up like evangelical mainline protestant what does how does this show up in my my own experience yeah absolutely um it's it's in more subtle ways there but it's it's i would say it's it's pervasive and really uh so much of kind of western thought uh is, is sort of uh, implicitly uh, predicated on Platonism, Neoplatonism in, in ways that without sort of uh, uh, some substantive study of these traditions, you wouldn't uh, necessarily realize. But uh, yeah, anytime we'd say talk about a, a higher truth, uh, we are using a very Neoplatonic language of some kind of celestial hierarchy, this association between, between height, between uh, something uh, of a, an ontology that uh, is, is sort of stacked. And the, the higher you go up, the, the more true, the more good, the more beautiful things get. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's Neoplatonism kind of 101 right there. Uh, so it's it's really just kind of diffuse in our, in our language. Uh, 
there's definitely some ways that I think uh, mainline Protestant and evangelical uh, theologies and, and Christianity really deviate from from Neoplatonism. And uh, you do get this certainly in, in the Catholic tradition as well, I'd say to a lesser degree in, in Eastern Orthodoxy, but uh, this sort of two worlds view of kind of, uh, well, we have the, the creation here and God and maybe some celestial realm uh, up there. Uh, the Neoplatonic uh, uh, ontology is much more has, has gradations of being, not just a sort of a dichotomy or opposition there. So uh, nature, supernature, eh, not really very Neoplatonic. Uh, instead, we have this kind of stack of uh, uh, the one at the top and then the forms or the ideas uh, uh, sometime uh, below that and, and some kind of imaginal or intermediary realm and then sort of a purely physical material uh, uh, kind of a reified uh, realm at uh, at the bottom. There's a number of different ways to chop up the the hierarchy in a sort of much more nuanced uh, sort of way, and you'll see these very fascinating Neoplatonic schemes of all these different levels that make very fine grained distinctions and really really some wondrous stuff. But uh, those are kind of the basic uh, basic levels there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks. I know um, oftentimes, I mean, at least for myself growing up, um, <laughs> I wasn't thinking or asking about like, you know, metaphysical questions or uh, I wasn't even necessarily aware of the kind of philosophical traditions um, that existed that kind of gave rise to maybe some of the ideas or ways, you know, things I was taught about God Um you know, et cetera. I didn't really have access or I don't want to say I didn't have access to, cause I guess I had access to it, but I, I didn't know to look for it. Um, and so that's been something that I, I mean, even now is still something that I am kind of, um, taking a deep dive into. I've definitely been reading more philosophy recently than, um, theology, obviously a lot of, uh, process stuff, but within that, it's been cool because I've gotten an introduction to some other really important thinkers, um, you know, as well, like Plato and Aristotle and um, Kant and Rene Descartes and like these different people um, who, you know, I guess because it's kind of the water that I swim and I didn't realize the impact that these people had kind of on these uh, theologies. So I think um, it's really cool to kind of step back and and. Um, look into this so and i mean a lot of this is just me absolutely not knowing so i'm just asking you questions but <laughs> uh when it comes to, so one person you mentioned was maximus the confessor and um i have recently been reading a book um a little bit about maximus uh but also it's still a little bit over my head i'm working very slowly through it <laughs> and so um like what what is it about Maximus that kind of makes him a good exemplification of Neoplatonic thought? Yeah, I, I'm likewise not uh, any kind of expert in in Saint Maximus, so I can only give kind of brief brief sketches here. Uh, but uh, he has this intricate logos uh, theology uh, coming from a, a very biblical standpoint of uh, well, Jesus is the Christ as as logos as word and. Uh, uh, he reads Logos uh, in this very sort of 
Neoplatonic way as this kind of emanation. Uh, so when we think of uh, creation in the Neoplatonic mode, it is really about emanation from the one uh, through some kind of uh, ideal realm, through some kind of intermediary realm outwards to uh, uh, create or emanate the world. Uh, so it's it's really this uh, this dynamic system. Uh, and here's perhaps a interesting point of contact with some of the the process stuff, uh, rather than say, oh, God is some being uh, out there that then acts upon world as some kind of external, uh, and that being uh, some kind of mode of creation, or even even uh, this kind of more ground of being uh, theology. Uh, uh, that you get in in someone like like Tillich. So the emanation, the gradations uh, are definitely the important features here. And uh, then within the the created world, Maximus really reads things as uh, as sort of uh, symbolic and like having this uh, emanative theophanic kind of quality to them. Uh, uh, it's a very sort of incarnational type of ontology, not only in in Jesus as as Christ, but also in in the world at at large, where the logos of of things really is able to to shine forth in in all sorts of uh, intricate ways. Uh, if we sort of uh, take the uh, take up the task of really trying to encounter that that more sacred aspect of of reality. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of a brief brief sketch. Uh, and one of the important features. Uh, which now we're going to contrast with some of the process stuff is, is a very substance-based uh, metaphysics. The, there's some kind of essence uh, in 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 the logoi of a of a certain thing that uh, one can tap into. Whereas Whitehead, he says no, no to these uh, substance metaphysics and says let's do a let's do a process metaphysics instead. Uh, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that makes them irreconcilable. So. Yeah, so within this uh kind of the so when you're using language like the incarnation and the you know emanation from the one, um, my mind immediately jumps to some kind of like panentheism or pantheism, just you know, outright. Um, is that kind of something that is um prominent within the kind of Neoplatonic uh tradition? I, I would say absolutely. Yeah. I think it's hard to to read uh Neoplatonism as as something other than a, a panentheistic uh, form of theology. Um, uh, in some ways, I think Neoplatonism is the classical uh, theology, um, just because of how ubiquitous it was, especially in uh, uh, the the three major Abrahamic faiths. Uh, but there's sort of other less Neoplatonic, less panentheistic uh, theologies that that did have prominence in in those traditions as well. And usually, people are are thinking a bit more of, of that when they use the term classical theism. Uh, but yeah, pan panentheism. I'd say definitely that more than than pantheism, uh, because you do have the one as something over and above uh, any anything that uh, the cosmos is is conceptualized as. But uh, the one through emanations, through manifestations, is absolutely diffuse and throughout all of all of creation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've been trying to read um recently some uh kabbalistic panpsychism which is like a whole nother kind of thing 
but it, this kind of emanation idea uh, reminds me of uh, an image that uh, the one author I was reading used where he kind of talks about this um, one or source or whatever. And he kind of uses this fractal imagery where that one shines through, you know, like a diamond or something. And then, you know, the fractals kind of go out from there. Um, is that, does that kind of work with this emanation kind of idea? Am I, is that right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, I think uh, maybe the, the a metaphor or an image of, of the refraction of light uh, would be really helpful here, where you start with, say, a pure white light, and then uh, through the, the sort of a uh, emanation of it, you then get individuated colors that, that come out of it. Uh, and so these are then more particularized uh, than they were in sort of this pure undifferentiated unity in the one, which is sort of a white light uh, in, in this metaphor. Uh, so that's kind of how it goes. As you kind of go down the, the ladder of emanation, things get more particularized, more differentiated, and they are intermingling more and more with nothingness. Um, so that when you get down to the sort of purely material, gross uh, reality, uh, you have things uh, that are constantly in flux. They are changing and uh, finite, fallible. They can pass away, uh, but uh, but there's a, a, a concreteness to them that uh, that isn't the case in these higher realms, uh, say the ideal realm where you could have angels in a particular uh, theology, but you also have things like uh, like pure pure essences, pure pure forms. So here's where something like uh, uh, the idea of uh, courage or something is hanging out. It's differentiated. It's not purely kind of uh, uh, this sheer essence of unity that is the one, uh, but uh, it's kind of participating in truth, goodness, uh, beauty in, in different ways, uh, in sort of unique proportions. And uh, uh, on the other hand, it's not something that can exist sort of independent. It it's, needs to be actualized, needs to be brought into a concrete form through further emanation of, oh, this particular person is is courageous. Uh, so uh, yeah, there's, there's kind of a, there's such a continuity throughout this uh, ontology and all the layers are have a certain necessity to them. Uh, the one without any emanation uh, is just uh, some kind of unity and total occultation. Uh, the one with emanation, okay, now it's uh, it's being a sort of a uh, it's interacting. It's it's dynamic. It uh, uh, is able to be witnessed in in particularities in this various these various ways. Even though ultimately this is some kind of unity. But it is not a unity uh, as opposed to multiplicity. It is a unity in uh, and uh, including uh, a multiplicity, uh, which is hard and paradoxical sort of uh, metaphysics to grasp. But that's what we got here. Yeah, cool. Thanks. The I think for me, um, this is where like what what you just explained that paradox is where I have a hard time uh, sometimes talking to a buddy of mine named Gabe who Gabe very much lives within this like Eastern Orthodox tradition. Um, and so like the, and Gabe, if you're listening and I'm screwing up how you speak, forgive me, but I think Gabe would relate nicely to this emanation language. Um, but where it kind of, I don't have like philosophical language to couch where I end up going with this, but for me, 
Um, I would then want to talk about like creation as incarnation. Um, but then like for my buddy Gabe, that gets kind of uh, awkward because he wants, um, you know, he wants to preserve as a Christian, he wants to preserve the Christ um, as something and, you know, also make sure that uh, we recognize that the Christ um, became incarnate specifically in a Jew, in a, in a Jewish person, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and But for me, with the oneness thing and then the emanation, um, I can't help but see all things then as incarnation, like creation as literally incarnation. I don't know know what else to call it. Um, and so that is almost like an like a pen, inherently penentheistic perspective. Um, but yeah, like Gabe and I kind of go back and forth on that. So I don't know if I just like fail to grasp the paradox <laughs> or if, or or what, but um, yeah, just an, an interesting point of 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 contact with um mm-hmm. with Gabe. I don't know if that generated any thoughts for you or not, but yeah, definitely. I think uh, one of the important things here is well, this is exactly why uh, this was sometimes controversial, and people wanted to push back against uh, some of this Neoplatonic theology that was imported into these faith traditions. Uh, yeah, you can get uh, something which. Well, maybe that doesn't square so much with some of the central dogmas here. If if everything is incarnate and in some measure, what's the what's the big deal about uh, Jesus? I mean, he was he was great and all, but uh, you lose some of the the centrality of uh, the incarnation uh, going down that route, uh, certainly. Uh, but uh, in in a theologian like Maximus the Confessor, you do have sort of a very intricate discussions of why that particular incarnation of Jesus as the Christ uh, is sort of a central uh, exemplary, the, the zenith of, of this sort of a, uh, basic feature of, of ontology. So you did have theologians wrestling with and uh, uh, in certain respects, uh, depending on what you think of it, uh, solving these types of issues. But uh, when uh, you say lose touch with some of that uh, more uh, deep, nuanced sorts of work, and well, then you just kind of have the basic Neoplatonic uh, uh, sketches of this ontology. You can see why it kind of generated some some controversy and uh, led to kind of some reactionary movements against it, trying to say go back to a more pure uh, Christian belief. Uh, trying to get rid of these foreign philosophical influences that are, say, complicating things uh, that are uh, difficult to understand in this kind of elitist sort of way. Like, who can grok this metaphysics? I mean, you're not wrong. That this basic paradox ontology is going to be tricky for the average faithful person. So, Yeah, and also, too, I feel like um, most people within, you know, whatever faith tradition, um, don't often sit around and ask these kind of questions. <laughs> like these are the kind of fun nerd conversations that I enjoy having. Um, and clearly you enjoy having. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the average uh, person in a pew uh, or in a temple or a mosque or whatever on, on, um, you know, their holy days are not uh, asking this kind of stuff. So it's, um, I don't know, but so, I we talked a lot about the the Christian aspect and I kind of I'm interested to see where um 
this kind of neoplaton neoplatonic thought um made its way into uh some islamic uh thought yeah absolutely uh so uh there's a an intricate kind of genealogy here uh and uh basically uh, i mean in, in some ways it's it's quite similar to to some of the uh the christian uh sort of experience uh difference being well some of this neoplatonic thought was a little more uh developed already by the uh uh, time that Islam came on the scene. But likewise, uh, and I think this is Whitehead's phrase, these Abrahamic religions were seeking a metaphysic um, to, to kind of systematize uh, the religious perspective uh, that uh, you have a kernel of it in, in Revelation, but uh, not, uh, not the full explication of it. Uh, so one of the things that uh, Muslims did pretty early in uh, in their history is uh, began translating a lot of this uh, Greek philosophical material into Arabic. So there was this whole translation movement uh, that occurred. Um, and you had important uh, Islamic thinkers who were really kind of at the, the fore of this, uh, someone like the philosopher Al-Kindi. Uh, and so th this was sort of the initial uh, reception of of this material you had these muslim philosophers and, and theologians starting to translate and then uh apply and, and sort of grapple with uh this this neoplatonic thought uh a little later you kind of have a a, a bit more of a, a consolidation of uh philosophers as a as a specific category in the tradition uh falsafa falsafa became the, the sort of uh discipline uh which is just the Arab Arabization of the, the Greek term philosophy. Um, and uh, yeah, you had people very much kind of following suit with some of these, uh, these Neoplatonic as well as purely Platonic and Aristotelian uh, ideas. Interestingly, some of the works of Plotinus were erroneously thought to be those of Aristotle. Uh, so you get a little bit of a different flavor of uh, who, who you think Aristotle is if uh, this, uh, these Plotinian ideas about beauty and, and the one are attributed to him. Uh, but uh, yeah, very important uh, Islamic philosophers like Ibn Sina, Ibn Rushd, uh, who uh, are known as Avicenna and uh, Averroes in, in, in the Latin West, uh, uh, very important. Uh, but uh, here you see some of the same dynamics of, well, these people were a bit controversial uh, in, in the eyes of some of the theological and legal orthodoxies because they are uh, taking some of these philosophical uh, uh, ideas and these metaphysical ideas from an external source uh, outside of Islam and and taking them as very authoritative. So you have uh, uh, interesting debates about, uh, say, the is, the is the world eternal? Uh, well, uh, uh, Ibn Sina says yes, following uh, some of these Greek thinkers. And then uh, the, the theologian par excellence of Islam, uh, Imam al-Ghazali, uh, writes this long sort of a famous book, uh, The Refutation of the, the philosophers, where he argues against uh, some of uh, Avicenna's ideas here, though still using uh, many of the methods and uh, ideas that were imported. So as time goes on, you have uh, a lot more of a uh, sort of a Islamicization of, of this material. So in the early periods, some of these Muslim thinkers feel like uh, they're very much treading in the in the footsteps of these, these Greek uh 
Greek theologians and, and philosophers and uh, just kind of doing it in a little bit of a Islamic mode, being in conversation with Islam. But uh, then later, it becomes so much more diffuse in the religion and really has its own uh, properly Islamic idiom uh, nowadays and uh, for quite some time now. Uh, uh, Neoplatonism really lives in Sufism and uh, in uh, in some Shi'i mystical traditions as well. Uh, which, uh, yeah, here here it's it's very much uh, uh, couched in a in a sort of Quranic idiom and uh, uh, really brought into into this sort of spiritual program that is is very sort of Islamic uh, in its uh, its aims, its ideals. Um, so that's that's the kind of general sketch of how how this went, though, as time went on, though, also, I mean, this is less kind of self-consciously uh, neoplatonic. You you don't in the same way see uh, uh, those kind of direct citations back to these Greek thinkers and in, in some of the Sufi material, though, uh, one of the sort of uh, most uh, prominent Sufi mystics, uh, Ibn Arabi, who uh, lived in Muslim Spain, uh, is uh, also often uh, given the the name, along with his perhaps most famous title of uh, Sheikh Al Akbar, the, the greatest master, the greatest spiritual master. He's sometimes given the title of uh, Ibn Flatun, the son of Plato. Uh, so uh, there is some of that uh, that recognition there, though he's not necessarily always citing these these Greek thinkers. He's a very uh, mystical sort of writer. So a lot of his stuff is coming right from experience and right from uh, from his reading of the Quran and, and other things, uh, but certainly uh, there's a lot of Neoplatonism in there. Yeah, this is this is so interesting, um, especially for me as like somebody who hasn't um, done too much study into um, you know a variety of world religions in the way that you have. I mean, I took um, Islam in college and it was one of my favorite classes i really enjoyed it um i remember uh calling my grandmother regularly to tell her about class and she was like josh are you gonna convert to islam <laughs> i remember her asking me that um so i have some knowledge and background but it's just so intriguing to me to see how um you know in this case neoplatonic thought um influenced a variety of different things, not just like my localized, you know, little bubble of Christianity or something like that. Um, and also, as you were speaking, one thing that kind of came to mind for me um, is, you know, since we're talking about specifically about like the Abrahamic traditions, so we have like, you know, the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, um, the Quran. It seems like, and I mean, I don't even know, this might be a dumb statement to make, but like, I don't know if there's necessarily um, a consistent like internal um, metaphysic in any of these different like sacred writings. Right. Um, and so it's almost inevitable that different um, streams of thought are going to kind of come, in, you know, come in and influence. And I personally don't see that as a as a bad thing. Right. Um, as a you know, process thinker, I think it's important to have uh, new ideas and information when we learn and grow, kind of come in and influence our tradition and figure out a way to inherit our tradition um, faithfully, but also in a way that's relevant for today. Um, and so, yeah, just those those two thoughts just kind of came to me as you were speaking, the 
my total lack of awareness <laughs> for how these tradition or um, ideas have influenced a variety of faith traditions. But then also, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could try, like, if I were to pick up the Bible and try to, like, build a biblical biblical metaphysic, I don't know what that would mean. Um, because I think the Christian tradition has been so influenced by different streams of thought, different, you know, philosophies and metaphysics that like, it'd be hard to just say, this is the biblical one. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, certainly, uh, John Cobb has some strong arguments that the process, uh, outlook is a more biblical outlook, at least, uh, than, uh, other, uh, in inherited theologies. And, uh, I find that, that rather convincing in, in some regards. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, Neoplatonism, we are quite alienated from these origins, uh, frankly. Um, and uh, I think a good part of this has been the, the fact that that Platonism and the, the Greek tradition in some respects became this kind of dirty word and this punching bag in a lot of more modern philosophies, uh, certainly uh, in the Hegelianism, uh, uh, some of the analytic traditions, uh, sometimes in in continental thought too, uh, though also all of these are uh, sort of critically appropriating certain aspects of of these these Greek traditions. Yada yada footnotes to Plato, Whitehead. We 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 know what's up, uh, but uh, yeah, it can be hard to know just how ubiquitous this perspective was without uh, significant uh, sort of study. Uh, of of these traditions and yeah you know, just also like the some of the rationalism that uh uh was uh quite heavy-handed uh uh in the in the modern period was uh really kind of uh, against this whole complex metaphysical and mystical cosmology of of neoplatonism so you don't have a lot of appreciation for someone like plotinus someone like maximus the confessor um from a lot of these more modern uh thinkers they, they didn't know what to do with these uh these sorts of guys they kind of brushed them aside if they uh even had some and any interest in them at all uh so uh yeah it's kind of tragic and uh uh, but nowadays you have a, a, a revival that's certainly happening of Neoplatonism right now, which I give a big thumbs up to. I think there's a lot of uh, great gems to be uh, retrieved from from this inheritance. And uh, uh, it's not not just current that uh, this is happening. There was the Cambridge Platonists a while back who were also trying to really tune back into this uh, tradition of but you're seeing it more and more in a in a wider variety of of fields right now. The Heideggerians seem really interested in in Platonism, which is kind of an interesting uh, combination, or Neoplatonism specifically. Uh, you have a cognitive scientist like John Verveke at the University of Toronto who's doing uh, some very interesting things with Neoplatonism and cognitive science. Uh, and then within the the sort of Abrahamic traditions, you have. Uh, sort of a, a flourishing of, of new scholarship uh, that, that looks at uh, the Neoplatonic uh, theologies within these traditions and, and puts them sort of back, back into conversation with some of these older sources like, like Plotinus. And it's just helpful having this, this terminology to be like, oh yeah, that's a, a Neoplatonic uh, type of perspective or influence perspective when, when you're looking at especially these mystical uh, panentheistic type of theologies across these different traditions. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because based off my limited understanding, metaphysics kind of got like 
pushed away within like philosophy for a while. Um, and people are like, we don't need that stupid metaphysics stuff. Um, but now there is kind of like, again, if I understand correctly today, there is kind of this revival into some more of this metaphysical kind of um, thinking, which I guess that's partly why uh, Whitehead, for example, um, hasn't been as fully appreciated as I think he should have been was because the metaphysics stuff was kind of being shushed. But now we kind of see this um, revival, not just in, um, you know, Neoplatonic thought, but also I think process is kind of entering into like a time of uh, growing in popularity as well. Is that kind of an accurate depiction of how things have worked out um, within? Yeah. The, like, yeah, I, I, I'd say uh, overall, yes, uh, it's a little more complicated than that. I mean, these are always finer grain things. Uh, but overall, yeah, there's been a, a reticence to engage in uh, what uh, what we call metaphysics uh, in, in a lot of contemporary or modern philosophy, uh, though that is changing in some some respects. Uh, uh, but uh, but also, I mean, this term metaphysics can be such an empty signifier and such a polemical term like, oh, this philosopher I don't like. Oh, they're just doing metaphysics. OK, uh, easy way to just throw them out. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say these these sorts of uh, systematic ontologies like you get in in Whitehead. Uh, it wasn't a lot of people trying to, to do that. Uh, Nowadays, there's a little bit more of uh, some of that stuff. I think the other than the process tradition, the, uh, the sort of major kind of uh, constructive or reconstructive metaphysical ontological school that uh, we have nowadays is the object-oriented ontology folks. Uh, I really like a lot of their stuff too. But then, yes, we have Platonism uh, in in the West and the Abrahamic traditions. Uh, uh, historically, you can look at something like uh, Vedanta in, in Hinduism. There, you also have a, a very systematic uh, metaphysical perspective, and yeah, a lot of renewed interest in such things. Uh, I think there's a broader popular kind of recognition that you can't get out of metaphysics. Uh, it's 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 something that will always be there, always be operative. Uh, so it'd be good to to pay due attention to it, and at least. Uh, try to have better rather than worse metaphysics and intentional rather than implicit uh, metaphysics. So there's certainly the, the sort of uh, physicalist, naturalist metaphysics of uh, much of uh, sort of material science uh, that uh, methodologically great stuff for doing some good experiments uh, might not be the metaphysics we want for figuring out how to live for uh, understanding uh our, our connection with with the world, other people, these sorts of things. Uh, so, uh, not sort of naively inheriting that as the only metaphysics is uh, definitely uh, an important task, I think, of philosophy and and theology in our contemporary times. Yeah, that, and that's like an understanding that I've come to appreciate much more, especially recently. Um, you know, and hearing you know, someone or not hearing, I didn't physically hear them, but reading that somebody said, <laughs> uh, like someone like David Ray Griffin, um, you know, who makes a joke about like, you know, dying and going to heaven and being like, yeah, well, I don't think I had, you know, the correct metaphysics. I think it was, you know, but I want to give, you know, Whitehead his, you know, uh, fair praise and that I think it was the best one or something like that. And so I think that that kind of humility that is also built into these kind of conversations, um, hopefully at least, right, 
um, in recognizing that like, yeah, there are a lot of really great things that a more materialist physicalist uh, metaphysics has produced. Um, and that's awesome. But also at the same time, it can, it doesn't answer all the questions, uh, which is, you know, kind of why I personally got more attracted to um, the process thinking. Cause I think it, um, handles some of that stuff a little bit better, um, and has room for growth in it, which I like. Uh, but yeah, let's bring, um, let's try to bring process into the, the kind of conversation here. Where do you see process, um, coming into conversation with, um, Neoplatonic thought, uh, either positively or negatively. And I, you can choose which direction you want to go first. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a nice, uh, segue from, from what you were just, uh, describing in terms of uh yeah whiteheads process metaphysics his philosophy of organism as he himself called it uh is is much more empirical uh and uh intentionally made to be sort of uh one of the sort of goalposts he sets up is adequacy to experience uh so it's always meant to be uh revised and uh drawing upon experience as its its sort of basis as its authority that's different than than Neoplatonism. Uh, Whitehead's other uh, category in process and reality uh, for a, a sort of valid uh, philosophy is, is, I think it's coherence. I think the Neoplatonic uh, uh, tradition uh, gets good marks in that regard. I think it's uh, a very uh, compelling and uh, uh, sort of thoroughgoing system for uh, uh, explaining any any number of things and uh, being sort of in, in, in uh, intrinsically coherent or, or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that empiricist dimension is definitely uh, distinct from uh, from what the, the Neoplatonic tradition provides. You kind of start with uh, the metaphysics. Uh, and this is true of much sort of classical uh, thought. You start with these sort of big ideas, these ultimates, uh, these sorts of things. And from there, you uh, explain experience in their light. Whitehead's process tradition in general, that, though not all strands of it, are kind of doing the, the inverse of starting with the experience uh, itself as, as some kind of uh, ultimate or, or primary datum. Uh, and from there, uh, sort of seeing what ultimates make sense, what, uh, what principles, what, what metaphysics emerge. Uh, and so I think that's, that's another uh, kind of basic ontological difference here uh, in the process uh, tradition. You have emergence, you have uh, autonomous uh, actual entities uh, interacting in, in complex and varied ways that then amidst those interactions allow for uh, novelty uh, to be produced. Uh, that's not how it works. You have the opposite movement in the Neoplatonic tradition where any kind of novelty is emanated down uh, from, from the one rather than emerging up from the world, uh, something like that. There are some Neoplatonic uh, ideas of uh, emergence. I'm a little less familiar with them, though th this tradition is not entirely absent of that aspect. And likewise, the process tradition, uh, I don't think, is entirely absent of emanation. I think the luring activity of God, the, the function of Whitehead's eternal objects, have something of that in them, something of a, an emanation uh, uh, into into the actual world, into actuality. So I think those the, those aspects exist within both these traditions. 
but which one is sort of foregrounded is, is different where process much more focused on emergence, Neoplatonism much more focused on emanation. And you, you get certain different moods, different uh, emphases as, as a result. Uh, it's much easier to, to tap into sort of individuality, particularity, freedom uh, of, of creaturely uh, actualities in a, in a process idiom than it is in, in Neoplatonism. Uh, it's a little easier in a Neoplatonic context to uh, tap into this kind of grand, uh, holistic, kind of ecological sort of theology where uh, everything is, is is this sort of expression of, of divine emanation. You can it's, it's so easy to do this sort of natural theology of uh, reading God in the world and in all sorts of intricate ways and feeling that there's this ordained harmony. Uh, but uh, that can get difficult with uh, questions of theodicy. And uh, that's exactly Exactly why the, the process thinkers uh, took a very different direction uh, as a result. Uh, yeah, only feeling like there's this divine preordained harmony is not adequate to experience when you uh, have deep traumas of death and violence and these sorts of things that uh, are near inescapable in human life and existence at large. Yeah, and that, I mean, that literally was my introduction to, well, initially open and relational thinking, although my entry into that was Tom Ward. <laughs> and Tom, I, I'm pretty sure Tom would, you know, he doesn't, I don't know if he uses the language, you know, he, he likes open and relational, but Tom, I think is at least sympathetic, if nothing else, to process relational thinking. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the thing for me was the theodicy bit that um, I wasn't happy with the different answers I was given, um, you know, regardless of what they were. And so the more like open relational process thinking had, in my opinion, I think still has a better way of understanding those things. Um, and that was uh, helpful to me. Um, so in, in process thought, um, as you were saying, uh, Whitehead has these things called like eternal objects. And in the more like Neoplatonic thought, you have like these, like, are they called eternal forms or just forms? Um, there's there's a lot of different language that is is used, especially if you're including sort of the, the Neoplatonic theologies that emerged out of uh, the Abrahamic traditions. But forms is, is certainly fine. Uh sort of the ideas uh, you'll hear uh eidos i think is is the actual greek term that that plato was using uh ibn arabi has ein al tabita eternal archetype something like that but yeah i think these things plug in uh quite uh, readily yeah and that's that's kind of what I, what i wanted to ask is like how um how are those those two ideas in these two different traditions um similar to one another and uh, are there any kind of like noticeable differences between them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think again here the the emanation versus emergence uh, emphasis is is the the sort of crux of the issue uh, in in Whitehead's uh, philosophy of organism. The eternal object sort of needs the actual occasion to be uh, brought into actuality, uh, uh, whereas in 
uh, Neoplatonic emanationist theology. It, it kind of goes the other way around where um, things are concretized because of uh, their participation in a particular form. Um, and so, yeah, very, very kind of inverse. Uh, both are kind of compelling perspectives. I think they both have something to offer. And I don't know that I truly commit to one being more metaphysically true than the other. Uh, I think they're both kind of alive in my thinking and sort of dialectically engaged, uh, hopefully. Uh, but uh, yeah, like the the redness of of, uh, of an actual entity that that we perceive. That's an eternal object. It, it cannot exist without that uh, that actual entity to to sort of uh, actualize or, or host that that quality. Uh, but likewise, it can't exist without me as superject of a society of actual occasions, uh, likewise being in this uh, uh, dynamic participation of the whole extensive continuum to where actually that red is, is something that is actualized uh, sort of transjectively between me as society and say the, the table I'm sitting at also as, as society. So uh, it's deeply, deeply interconnected. Uh, in in a way that um, the, the the substance metaphysics of uh, at the core of Neoplatonism doesn't necessarily have that that same uh, same kind of uh, interconnection uh, really ubiquitous throughout the cosmos. You have interconnection uh, sort of across the whole celestial hierarchy there uh, and uh, deep continuity. Uh, but uh, mutual dependence among actual things, among the material world, as the source from which uh, these these forms, these qualities emerge, yeah, it's not really the Neoplatonic perspective. Yeah. So, uh, for I want to try to say what you just said in very plain language. <laughs> um, Useful. So, yeah. So, um, forms. Neoplatonic, right? They are kind of these um, eternal things that, like, are are emanations. They just kind of have existed. Um, whereas the eternal objects are emergent properties from creation. Um, that kind of, yeah, okay. So they, although they now are, you know, these kind of objects that we see and know and exist, they haven't always been so. Whereas in with the forms, they kind of have always been so. Is that is that part of it, or am I just you know I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's an incredibly uh, <laughs> intricate sort of ontological discussion yeah, yeah. here. Uh, right. I, I think there's some ambiguity and uncertainty on on the Whitehead side of uh, whether an eternal object can be sort of created. I mean, these things are are real, but they're not actual in in his words. Uh, so, uh, or at least in in words that sort of flow naturally uh, in a, in a process idiom. Um, so, you certainly have sort of the emergence into actuality of uh, novel eternal objects, um, and they are kind of necessary for this this process of uh, concrescence to to sort of happen and uh, give actualities their their particular forms instant to instant. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not clear to me in the in the Whitehead discourse whether uh, eternal objects are these sort of well eternal pre-existing uh, sort of ideals uh, that are then merely uh, actualized in, in novel ways, or if they themselves can be uh, 
sort of brought into uh, a new sort of uh, realness. Uh, like you know, there's one eternal object that didn't exist and now it does exist even if it hasn't been actualized yet or something. So not, not entirely clear uh, in the Neoplatonic uh, uh, vein. I think it is a lot more uh, sort of uh, understood that yes, these are kind of pre-existing eternal uh, eternal things, and the chairness of a chair, yeah, somehow that existed uh, with God uh, even before chairs uh, were were around. So, <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'm going to ask another uh, probably unfair and overly. Um generic question but where do you kind of see a um a coming together of or where where do you see um maybe in some key areas neoplatonic thought and process thought kind of coming together and holding hands so to speak <laughs> uh if at all yeah i mean there's definitely a a shared lineage here uh with with plato um I mean, I think they they definitely are both these sort of systematic metaphysic uh, metaphysical types of perspectives, which I think are uh, very useful. Uh, they have a lot of utility to to really dig into either of these. Uh, uh, I think they're both very dynamic. I think contra. Uh, a sort of later uh, kind of theology where you collapse into this sort of two worlds, uh, sort of nature versus supernature, where you have God as this kind of distinct uh, being or ground of being from the created world. Um, yeah, you you inherit a lot of a lot of rough dichotomies from from more modern uh, thought that that get into theology. Then, uh, so I think both. Uh, Neoplatonism and, and process thought are really great uh, alternatives to to those you know, what I would frankly call more decadent uh, type of perspectives, less uh, less nuanced, less dynamic. Uh, I think uh, even within the the Neoplatonic mode, you have a, a more dynamic uh, idea of substance, uh, of essence, of form, of idea. This this sort of thing. Then you got get within, say, Descartes, uh, Locke, these these sort of modern thinkers that Whitehead is really uh, more deeply in in dialogue with, uh, and really taking as as sort of the exemplars of a substance metaphysics, and in in many ways, uh, Kant can kind of fit in there as well in in certain respects. Uh, yeah, so I think they 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 both can provide alternatives there, uh, even as uh, some of their more basic kind of metaphysical commitments are actually divergent, but uh, yeah, I like having them in in conversation. I feel like they uh, they provide nice uh, checks and uh, alternatives to to one another. It's nice to kind of hop back and forth and qualify your process thought with your Neoplatonism and qualify your Neoplatonism with your process thought. Might as well. Don't know what else I'd be doing. No, it's so it's deeply intriguing to me. I it it makes me want to uh, learn and know more so that I can actually have an intelligent conversation with you instead of just asking you questions. Um, but it does. I so I am intrigued. It, it seems like um, one of the things that you're saying that it's helpful is um, perhaps both of them are. Um, I don't know if like rejecting is too strong of a word, but rejecting kind of this like reductionistic materialistic understanding of the world and they're kind of both um 
in that together and that they're like, mm, I don't think that quite works. Um, but then also, so it's like the um, Neoplatonic thinking, because I mean, you've been talking about substance and stuff. Is that more of like a like substance dualism that they have going on or no? Like, are they because I know white like um, uh, process thought is very much not substance dualism. So is that maybe maybe another similarity that they share, even if they aren't, you know, the same? Yeah, they, they certainly both reject dualism uh, quite uh, quite forcefully, uh, uh, but although in different ways, uh, the process perspective is is more naturalistic. Uh, Though there is, there are some dualisms in in Whitehead. Uh, there's two that I can think of. There's the uh, distinction between the the physical and conceptual pole of the actual occasion, and there's also then this distinction between actual occasions themselves and the eternal objects. So uh, you do have those. Although uh, in the case of the the two poles of the occasion, it's not that they're uh, they're this kind of uh, ontologically divided duality. It's this, uh, these sort of uh, uh, these two functions or two aspects, which ultimately are united in in sort of uh, uh, facilitating the concrescence, the becoming of of any particular uh, actuality. In, in the Neoplatonic perspective, not not nearly so naturalist. Uh, I mean, you you have these angelic or realms of forms uh, uh, proposed. Uh, but but that's not a dualism either because it's this whole kind of spectrum of ontology and there's there's divides between each of these different levels but uh, they're ultimately I mean for the emanation to work this needs to be something that has con continuity rather than some kind of strong ontological divide so uh, there's definitely uh, definitely not a, a dualism there I mean uh, there are dualisms operative here as well in terms of like. Uh, unity uh, or oneness uh, distinguished from multiplicity, uh, something like that. But even those are kind of ultimately viewed as, as united in the one as the kind of resolver or uh, unifier of all possible uh, dichotomies. <laughs> yeah, no, super interesting. I, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I am now intrigued to learn more. Um, but I guess too, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit more tied in and connected, um, in a sense, not in the technical sense where I can talk about it as such, but in more of the experiential senses, I've read people who maybe were operating within this more neoplatonic thought, especially maybe engaging some of the, uh, mystics, um, or some of the other, you know, traditions that I've engaged in. Um, and I think if I'm correct in that assessment, then um, I'm seeing more so now why the kind of like putting that in conversation with process um, is so intriguing because there are uh, a lot of like similarities um, or overlaps. Um, yeah. And this, yeah. Ah, damn. I don't know. This, see, this is why I'm back in school and I'm learning this stuff because I care about it and it excites me <laughs> and I'm grateful for people like you who are willing to sit down and uh, talk with me because none of my friends give a shit. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate you uh, 
entertaining my lackluster questions uh, in something that I wish I knew more about. But this conversation, I yeah, I don't know. It's definitely been helpful for me. But is there anything maybe uh, that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe uh, we didn't even mention this glaringly obvious thing or something like that. Uh, or maybe just like an idea that you have in this this conversation that you want to put out there. Yeah, sure. I, I can think of one uh, and it may open such a can of worms that we'll need to chat some more another time. But uh, uh, theodicy, I think uh, this is a big one. Uh, and I think here is where some of these distinctions between these, these two systems, these two traditions are uh, most apparent. Uh, and I think the the whatever side you go on there's some positives and there's some kind of negatives um i think uh the neoplatonic theodicy of having this emanationist uh framework where everything is is this sort of theophanic uh reflection of some divine quality or another um it's it's very it's easy to tap into just awe, wonder, these sorts of things in life. And that can be very helpful for getting over certain encounters with evil. The other aspect here is that on this material realm, this sort of physical uh, embodied plane, uh, this is at the furthest distance from the one, furthest distance from God. You have the more more and more intermingling with nothingness. And uh, thank God, because if you didn't, uh, there couldn't be this kind of particularity, this like uh, real individuality. But as a result of that, you get finitude. You know, if you're particular, you can't uh, exist forever in space and time. You would not be particular anymore. Um, uh, and so the Neoplatonic theodicy is, is excellent with uh, naturalizing things like death, things like finitude, uh, these sorts of things. Very helpful in that regard. Uh, and I, I think I've gotten a lot of benefit uh, uh, sort of existentially from, from that aspect of, of this scheme. Where I think it fails is uh, giving any account of um, particular instances of evil and tragedy that obviously didn't need to happen. From this perspective, uh, I understand why all finite beings must pass away. Death in the abstract has been accounted for. Why a child gets leukemia and that child has to die, that's that's not really dealt with here metaphysically. You're, you're kind of not left with, with resources for, for parsing that, um, which is hard because there's a lot of experiences like that uh, in life. That is... Uh, uh, one of the ways that we encounter evil and tragedy all the time. Uh, World War II, I understand why sort of conflict between finite beings in general happens. I don't know that that needed to happen, you know? Uh, and so, I mean, you do have this problem of then, okay, what kind of shit is this God emanating anyway? I don't know if I like it all the time. Uh, and so you can, you get into the classic, uh, uh, sort of encounters with the problem of evil that happen in a sort of theistic kind of vein. Uh, I think the process tradition uh, does a great job of addressing those aspects where the, the Neoplatonic theodicy kind of fails uh, because it's this sort of autonomous uh, 
interaction and negotiation between uh, uh, extensive continuum composed of all these different actualities, all these individual entities that are self-directing their own process of becoming, of course, there's going to be particular conflicts that, that arise. Uh, the cancer cells that develop in our bodies, well, there was autonomous actualities that directed their own becoming in such a way, you know, it's like uh, you you get much more of an account of uh, why these these sorts of things happen in in that uh, system that kind of sort of you, you aren't feeling like this is sort of God doing this or allowing this because this autonomy, this emergence is is preserved. Um, and then God's function in this system is is this lure, this uh, this sort of aspiration to to the most harmonious and intense uh, sort of experience of all actualities. So God can't uh, magically come in as surgeon and cut out all the bad cancer cells because, well, that's uh, just as bad as God coming in and smiting you for this or that uh, transgression you made against uh, the whole world. And God does not play favorites in, in this, uh, this scheme. Uh, but uh, through persuasive uh, influence of uh, proposing certain paths of becoming for for all actualities, uh, God hopes to direct uh, and and works to direct uh, creation in in these positive ways. And then, as sort of intentional human agents, it's up to us to sort of proactively uh, tap into and respond properly to that lure to that call. Uh, well, where I think the process theodicy can uh, fail is in some of its less uh, uh, sort of robust articulations, where it feels like we're kind of operating in this uh, this kind of uh, two worlds, very Protestant sort of uh, ontology of okay, we have the God out there uh, who is uh, kind of well persuasively and compassionately working upon creation, which is this other separate thing. Uh, and uh, it, it just doesn't have this same sort of theophanic, uh, luminous uh, uh, type of uh, uh, vision of, of creation where you are able to kind of tap into this uh, this divine harmony that uh, that is uh, pervasive and and have a, a sort of therapeutic uh, existential sort of uh, uh, experience of rightness uh, in in the cosmos in the same way. There's a certain chaos and, and uncertainty that uh, exists in 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 this uh, uh, this cosmos of composed of all these autonomous agents doing their own own things. Of course, they're qualified in in certain ways by the other actual occasions in which up with which they're in relationship. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my uh, my qualms with either of those and what I think they both do really well. And so again, glad I got them both. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you. I, we definitely need to uh, pick up that conversation another time. Cause that, I mean, like I told you before, theodicy has been, and I think for a lot of people, um, this is true, has been such an area of contention for me um, that like process thought is kind of the thing that has helped me with that uh, greatly, but, um, yeah, I share some similar concerns <laughs> and I liked, uh, a lot of things you had to say about the Neoplatonic bit. So perhaps that could be a conversation, uh, we pick up again in the future and maybe I'll bring a, uh, a tag team partner with me, um, to, for your benefit. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, Jared, this has been, has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time and uh, willingness to come talk to me. And um, I'm excited to hopefully continue a friendship as I uh, continue to study and learn and grow um, kind of in, in, in these conversations. And, um, and now I'm in debt uh, to you for this conversation, um, for aiding me in that pursuit. So thank you uh, for doing so. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. And uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing you next month at the Tehard and Whitehead uh, conference and Villanova there. Uh, so uh, yeah, shoot your listeners that way as well, hopefully. Maybe we can have a nice little meetup and uh, have some more of these conversations face to face. Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. I, I will be there. That's, um, what is that, September 21 through 23? The, uh, I do believe like, so. Uh, yeah, at uh, Villanova, which is in Pennsylvania. And if I understand correctly, the conference is they're putting a whitehead in conversation with uh, Tilliard and kind of seeing where they similar, where are they different, uh, etc. And there's a lot of fun people that are going to be there. Uh, people who have been on the show before, like Andrew Davis, uh, whose new book, by the way, is a lot of fun. I've been enjoying reading that uh, at my desk at work. <laughs> um, and uh, Daniel Dombrowski, Ilya Delio, uh, I mean, th- Catherine Keller, like there's there's a whole list of really cool people um, present. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, it'll be cool to, to meet you in person. And um, I'll continue to, to glean the wisdom of all the fun people and uh, see where it goes. But Man, in the meantime, uh, I will be sure to link uh, some of the different things you mentioned that you're connected to um, in the show notes. Um, And yeah, outside of that, listeners, thank you so much for hanging out, uh, for being a nerd. And uh, yeah, go in peace. Peace.